Hello, welcome to the Sermons Podcast of Horizon Church in Allentown, Pennsylvania. We want to help people connect with God and connect with each other. If you'd like to know more about us, you can go to our website at horizonconnect.org. Enjoy. So I want to thank you all for, I do want to thank you for your birthday cards and your birthday wishes. I kind of want to thank you, I think. Um, It's, um, you know, it is one of those milestones, turning 40 is a big deal. And um, yeah, you know, how do you get here? How do you get here? Uh, My grandma used to say when she had a birthday, um, and she did not like celebrating birthdays either. She used to say, well, it beats the alternative. Um, and I guess that's about the only good thing is that it's, um, it does beat the alternative, kind of. But anyway, thank you very much for your, really, I, as I always say, I've said this many, many times, you guys treat me better than I deserve, and I will always be grateful. Um, and so thank you. So let me pray, and then we'll, we'll move on. Father, we're about to engage with you through your written eternal word. And our confidence in you is very firm. But should I stray from truth by mistake or by misunderstanding, then guard us from any influence that might lead us to a house built on sand. Where your truth intersects with our lives, we pray that you will transform us into people who are growing more and more in every way like Christ. And shape us, Father, through your Spirit's presence so that in all ways we live truth in love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this, uh, this is the, the ninth and it's the last time that you are going to see this theme slide um, on the screen, the theme of growing up. This is the ninth Sunday that we're actually working through, and the last Sunday that we're talking about this as a series. You know, a couple of years ago, in the early days of Horizon, I, I looked at old messages, you know, I kept all my messages from day one, and I started looking at them, and I actually threw out like 25 years worth of messages, because I'm reading them and thinking, oh my goodness, I would never ever say this again the same way. Um, so the problem is that um, I was thinking about this and I was asking myself, have I ever done a nine-week series before? And because I threw out so many messages, I can't say for sure, but I actually think that other than those times when we've gone through a book of the Bible, chapter by chapter, and some of those series have been long, I'm pretty sure I have never ever devoted nine weeks to a single series. And I did that with this one because I believe that this theme of growing up is supremely important. I believe that this theme growing up is, I think this is what Jesus is after in all of our lives. I know that sometimes in the church we are led to believe that the only thing Jesus is interested in is getting us into heaven. Um, But that is not the only thing Jesus is interested in. Jesus is actually interested in making us fit for heaven. What Jesus wants to do is make us into the kind of people who will want to and who will be ready to live forever in the eternal and magnificent kingdom of God. And this idea, the idea that Jesus is getting us ready for heaven, that Jesus is equipping 
us to live forever in the kingdom of God. This is what the Bible calls our transformation. And this is the masterwork of God transforming us. But there are other things that this is called in addition to our transformation. This is also called our growing up and our maturing. And our growing up is not just about heaven. It's about life here and life now. Because the kingdom of God doesn't start just when we die and go to heaven. The kingdom of God is eternal. And it starts right here. And it starts right now. And then it continues on forever. So our growing up, our maturing, our transformation is extraordinarily important. For those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, this idea, this idea of growing up, of being transformed, it is not just for people who say, well, I want to be super committed. It's not for people who are just radical about their faith. This is something that is true for every single one of us, for all of us. This is the very serious business of Jesus. Our growing up, your growing up, my growing up, my maturing in the faith, is what Jesus talked about all the time. And a follower of Jesus who is growing is the only kind of life that Jesus offers. He doesn't offer any other kind of life just the kind of life where we are growing up and maturing and being transformed. In the Bible, in the book of Matthew, um, there's a place where uh, Matthew, who who was an eyewitness, Matthew recorded a message that Jesus gave. It's a long message, three chapters in the book of Matthew, chapter five, chapter six, and chapter seven. That entire message is all about our growing up, our transformation. It's a message that is so important that it's actually named, kind of like how we name important speeches. Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech. Abraham Lincoln's Gettysburg Address. This one is so important, it's named. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. And when Matthew recorded this sermon, this Sermon on the Mount, um, Matthew got to the end of that sermon in chapter 7, And he recorded that when Jesus finished this sermon, he ended this sermon with a kind of warning or challenge to his listeners. And because we're coming to the end of this, I cannot think of a better way to end this series on growing up than by taking the ending to Jesus' sermon and using that as the ending for this series. So we're going to go to the very end of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, the last couple verses, and I'm going to read Matthew chapter 7, the end of the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus devoted an extraordinary amount of time to talking about our growing up. And I'm going to read his ending, his challenge, his warning as the ending to this series, and then we'll talk about it. Matthew chapter 7, I'm going to start reading at verse 21. This is how Jesus ended this, this lesson. Not not everybody who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of God. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many people will say to me, Lord, Lord, we, 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 we prophesied in your name. We 
cast out demons in your name. We perform miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it was built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and the floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. Now, I want to make this very simple because Jesus did, um, told a very simple story. Um, I want to make it very simple, and I want to make just a couple observations as we kind of finish up this series. To build a house is to build a life. When Jesus talked about people who were building houses, he was talking about people who were building lives. To build a house is to build a life. Obviously, when Jesus told this story about two men who build a house, Jesus isn't offering some kind of apprenticeship program in, in contracting, building homes. He's offering an apprenticeship program in people who are building lives. And that's you, and that's me. All of us are building lives. So I want to invite you this morning as we finish up, and I know, you know, maybe this is your first Sunday here and part of this series, but what I want to invite you to do for all of us is to try to um, assess where you are and where you're going. So I spread out, uh, I should say Amy uh, Hinkle did this for me this morning, I spread out assessments on your seats. And I want you to, uh, I want to invite you to answer some questions. You don't have to answer them necessarily now, but I want to invite you to answer these at some point and assess kind of where you are as a follower of Jesus and what needs some work. I'm going to ask you three questions. Question number one, do I believe that the life Jesus is inviting me to live is the very best kind of life? Do I believe that the life Jesus is inviting me to live is the very best kind of life? When we started this series, nine, well, actually more, because there were some weeks off in there. When we started this series from the very first day, we've been talking about growing up and how we should measure our lives as we're growing up. Because when we are growing, one of the things we are always doing as we're growing, we are always measuring our lives as we're growing. The very day you were born, within minutes, a doctor puts you on a scale. A day later, the doctor puts you on a scale again, and a week later, the doctor puts you on a scale again. Because the doctor wants to know, are you growing? Because to grow means to thrive. To grow means to be alive. So from day one, we measured, are we growing? Many of us had in our homes, we have a little door frame somewhere, and on that door frame, there are little pencil lines if we had kids at our home. And those little pencil lines measure, you know, how tall you were when you were in first grade and second grade and third grade and fifth grade. 
Because there's a time in our lives when we're growing and we want to measure if we're growing. And our kids are interested. Now, at some point, we stop measuring our size. In fact, at some point, we try to measure in reverse. We don't want to see the numbers getting bigger when we step on the scale. We want to see the numbers getting smaller. So physically, there are times when we stop growing and we recognize that. But mentally and emotionally and spiritually, we never, ever stop growing. But if that's true, if we're still growing, how do we measure that? How do we ask, am I as a Christian still growing? Well, in week one, I said that the measure for you and I is Jesus Christ. That we measure ourselves according to, am I becoming more like Jesus? Almost every single week of this series, I quoted Jesus when Jesus said this himself, that the measure is him. Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, he said, the disciple who is fully trained will become like his teacher. It's Jesus saying, if you grow, you're growing to become more like me. I also quoted Paul almost every week when Paul followed up on what Jesus said. And Paul said that our goal is to grow up in every way to become more like Christ. So our measure to know whether we're growing or not is Jesus. That's why when Jesus finished this sermon in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, that's why when he finished, he issued kind of a challenge, a warning, and he told a very simple story. And he said, anybody who listens to my words and who follows what I say is wise, like a person who builds his house, his life on the rock. I don't know any other single person who ever said anything like that. Whoever said, you should build your life on my words. I know there probably are people who are crazy enough to say that, but they're fools. If I ever say to you, listen to my words. If I ever say to you, you should build your life on my words. I hope you run away as fast as you can and find another church. It isn't my words. What I say matters little. Now, there are some things, obviously, like all of us, there are some things that because I've lived a certain amount of time, there are some things I could probably teach you. Because I used to paint houses for a living I could probably teach you how to clean a paintbrush and keep it in good shape. Because I like hunting. If you're a beginning hunter, I could probably teach you how to put up a tree stand if you've never done it. Because I like working in the wood shop. If you've never built a table, I could probably teach you some things about building a table. If you're a rookie pastor, probably there's some lessons I could give you about putting a message together. But I will never, ever, ever say to you, build your life on my words. Because my words don't matter. But Jesus' words do. And Jesus is saying, I can teach you how to live. 
I can teach you how to live. So build your life on my words, he says. In fact, more than that, Jesus isn't just saying, here's an offer, build your life on my words. Jesus is actually saying, my words will provide for you the only wise way to live. The only wise way to live. Now, here's the thing. If you're looking at that assessment, there are competitors in the world in which you and I living, there's competition for life building. There are lots of other voices out there saying, follow me. Lots of other voices saying, build your life this way. I have to tell you, I think for almost everybody in this room, the most common competitive voice comes from our middle-class lifestyle and the lure of our middle-class life. And i got to tell you, in all honesty, the middle-class life is, is um, it's not a bad life. It's actually a pretty nice life compared to a whole lot of other lives I've seen that were around the world. My middle-class lifestyle has given me a pretty good life given a pretty good life to people I love. Makes for good neighbors, nice cars, comfortable houses, good schools, good doctors, nice life. In fact, there's probably a whole lot about the middle class life that would line up pretty nicely with the life that Jesus is calling us to live. At least there's not major conflict. But I've been learning that there are some things about me and some things about my middle-class life that sadden me. And it needs to change if I'm going to follow Jesus. My middle-class life has taught me very well how to be a consumer. Which means in ways that sometimes I don't even notice... It has taught me to value everything based on what it's going to give me. My mind has been trained to ask, is this going to make my life more comfortable? I do this with people all the time. So do most of you. So, for example, if it's Mother's Day and I'm going shopping for my wife, to get her a Mother's Day gift. So I go to the archery department at Cabela's. <laughs> and if I'm shopping for a Mother's Day gift at Cabela's and I have a question, and if I can't get the attention of the 20-year-old assistant who is the only person with a Cabela's name tag on that I can find, if I can't get his attention... And if I finally do get his attention and walks over to me, but he won't look at me when he's talking to me, and if he seems as interested in me as he is in his upcoming colonoscopy, if he shrugs and if he mumbles, and if he says, I don't know, then I am liable to walk out of Cabela's 10 miles per hour faster than I walked in. And I will probably get on the phone with Donna when I'm in the car, and I will say, "Hun, I really wanted to get you something nice from the archery department at Cabela's for Mother's Day. But man, I got to tell you, the archery department at Cabela's is a joke. 
the guy there just frosts my pumpkin. So sorry, I didn't buy you anything. You ever acted that way? You ever been at a restaurant and you get ticked off at the server? You ever been at a car dealer and you're unhappy with the way they treat you? You ever get unhappy with the people who um, maybe work for you? Now here's the truth. You and I could have a very good legitimate conversation about staff and how they might hurt a business and we might be right. But can you, for just a minute, for just one minute, can you be honest enough to admit that you are evaluating this whole experience and another human being based 100% on your middle-class lifestyle and expectations? 100%. Can you, for a minute, can you think about how Jesus would interact if he had that experience. Imagine Jesus getting on the phone with Peter after shopping at Cabela's and saying, hey, Pete, I I really wanted to buy some fishing nets at Cabela's, but man, they had a jack blankety-blank working there, and this guy was no help at all, so I got ticked off, and I walked out of the store. Sorry. I think Jesus would have an entirely different conversation with that young man. I think he'd have an entirely different conversation with the wait staff at a restaurant or the mechanic or an employer. Because I think Jesus, unlike us, I think Jesus could actually pause from his shopping long enough to say, you know, the most important thing about him and about me isn't being a consumer. And I think Jesus would be able to put that aside long enough to ask about school or work or worries or stress because for Jesus, shopping isn't first. For Jesus, being a middle-class consumer isn't first. Now, maybe you're arguing in your mind and you're saying, yeah, but, you know, that's Jesus. I mean, he's got the whole Son of God thing going on, etc. And that's true. But more importantly, what's going on with Jesus is that he is not captured by a middle-class lifestyle, a lifestyle that so captures us. So he does not evaluate people the way we do. And I will remind you one more time of our goal, the goal that comes from Jesus himself, to grow up in every way to be more like Jesus. In every way. So if you are not willing, or if I am not willing to say, in every way, including my middle-class lifestyle, Then go back to question number one that I asked. Do you believe that the life Jesus is inviting me to live is the very best kind of life? And answer that question honestly, and you may have to answer no. I'd rather be middle class. But answer it honestly. Do I believe that the life Jesus is inviting me to live is the very best kind of life?
Second question, what practices am I going to engage in that will allow God to transform me in building this kind of life, the life I want to build? As we've walked our way through this series, I've given you a couple examples of practices that I'm working on. Three weeks ago, for example, we read from Colossians chapter 3, whatever you do or say, do it in the name of Jesus. And I gave you examples of how I'm engaged in training on ordinary days to be more like Jesus in having conversation with people. I told you that there are three practices that I'm engaging in, not all the time, but I'm trying to do this most of the time, three practices I'm doing. Practice number one, I told you my goal is simply to say one sentence more. For those of you who are here who, who know me, you know that I'm working on my kind of introverted nature, my, my tendency to be comfortable after saying to a person, so how you doing? And that's where conversations end with me because I don't know what to say next. But I'm working on it. And I've found if I say just one sentence more, I can engage in conversations with people. And that's my goal, just to talk to people like Jesus talked to people. So for me, that's one goal, one sentence more. My second practice is I want to say the important things more often. Things like I love you, thank you, please, and others. And goal number three in conversations, I want to stop talking about myself so much. Now, there are others, um, other practices that I've started some time ago that are becoming part of my life. I participate in a daily online prayer thing called Lectio 365, which means nothing to a lot of you, but it's an app. I listen 10 minutes every day and engage in prayer. Those are the kind of things that I'm doing. Those are my practices. I know from having conversations with you, I know that there, there's a person in the horizon who is working every day to eliminate nasty comments that she says to a spouse. I know a person who is practicing gratitude every day. Every day they take time to acknowledge some blessings in life and they just name things they're grateful for. I know a person from Horizon who is practicing patience. So he's decided whenever I find myself in a line where I'm waiting for anything rather than getting frustrated, I've learned to shift my focus. I look at the people around me. I'll pray for people or for whatever the circumstance is. Those are practices people are engaged in. So what practices are you going to engage in? There's a place for you to write some of those. Think about it and write your own. But you need to remember, it is God who transforms us. Our transformation, any change that happens in you and any change that happens in me is a gift from God. It's a miracle of God's spirit that God is changing us. But you and I have a part to play in this change, and the part that we have to play is, we talked about it and I said it this way, the part we have to play is to hoist the sails so that we can catch the wind of God's Spirit as He changes us. 
and we hoist the sail in these ordinary, everyday practices that we can do, and through them, God transforms us. So the question, what practices am I going to engage in that will allow God to transform me in building the life I want? Write some down. We're going to revisit this at least two times this upcoming year, and we'll talk about how God is at work in the practices that you're doing. That's number two. And finally, number three. Am I willing to be ruthlessly honest and invite some other people into my lives to help me with this? Now, I need to explain this, and this is so important. You and I are masters at self-deception. This is true for every human being. We are masters at self-deception. And you must understand this, so let me take some time to prove this to you. If you go back to what I read in Matthew chapter 7, when Jesus finished a sermon by talking about building a life, building a home, you will notice that just before Jesus told that story, he issued a kind of a warning. It's a sobering warning. When Jesus said, not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of God. And then he went on, and if you read this slowly enough and listen to what Jesus is saying, this is startling. Jesus said on judgment day, many will come to me saying, Jesus, we, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We performed miracles in your name. But Jesus said, I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me. Now, I don't know about you, but that's sobering. Those are not little insignificant things that people are doing. They're prophesying, healing, casting out demons. And yet Jesus said, I never knew you. Get away from me. So here's the key, and this is so important. Pay attention. All of those activities that Jesus uses to illustrate this point, all of those activities are things that we do. They are external things that we do that other people can see us doing. And they're good things, too. They're not bad things. They're good things to do. They're the kind of good things that you and I still do today. We write checks to charities. We give away a car that we don't need anymore to somebody else who might benefit. We teach in the kids program at church. There is an endless list of good things that we do. Now, biblically speaking, these good things that we do, they're, they're kind of external acts. They're things that we do with our lives. And if we would look at them, if we look at those good things that we're doing, in some ways, they're, they're meant to be signs. They're meant to be an indication of what is going on inside of us, what's going on in our hearts. 
So if I'm becoming a more courageous person inside, if I'm becoming more like Jesus, then there are courageous things that people should see me doing. If I'm becoming more courageous, it should be visible in my life. You should see me acting in faith more. You should see me acting more boldly, more fearlessly, if I'm becoming more courageous. If I'm becoming more generous, same exact thing. You should see it. If I'm becoming more patient, you should see it. If I'm becoming more forgiving, you should see it. If I'm truly growing in my willingness and my ability to talk to people, if I'm actually growing in overcoming some of my introvertedness, you should see it. What I do with my life, what goes on in here, you should see me do those things. They're signs. What you see is a sign of what's going on in here. Does that make sense? Everybody agree? Okay, good. Here's the next thing that's just so important. It is possible for us to do the right kinds of things, to do good things, but we do them not because I am becoming more like Christ in here, but we do them for unhealthy reasons. We do those external things because we think, well, if I do them, surely God's going to notice. If I do them, God's going to be happy with me. If I do them, God's going to like me more. He will kind of owe me. So if I ever get in trouble, I can go to God and say, God, but look, I've been living a great life for years, so you owe me. Get me out of this. Or maybe we do those things because we think, well, if I do them, surely other people will notice. They'll be impressed with the kind of Christian I am. And when that happens, when the good things that I'm doing are no longer signs of what's going on in here, then they become kind of a false spirituality. They're not a sign of me growing to be more like Christ in every way. They become kind of a counterfeit faith. And here's the thing. Every one of you, every single one of us, we know people who have been in church for their entire lives. 50, 60, 70, 80 years. And maybe they've been very faithful in church, and maybe they've been very good givers in church. And yet, after a lifetime of being in church and doing all the visible things that a church person is supposed to be and do, they are just as nasty and just as joyless and just as critical of other people and just as likely to hold grudges as they were 60 years ago. And very often what happens in the church setting, because these people have been doing all the right things that we say a church person is supposed to do, sometimes in a church setting what we say is, yeah, well, that's just her, just him. She was a critical, joyless person back in preschool 50 years ago, and she's still a critical, joyless person today. That's just her personality. Because what we say is, well, they're doing the right things. 
They're doing those external things. And it's okay, as long as a person does the external things, it's okay if they never change inside. In other words, what we're saying is we really don't expect people to become more like Christ in every way as long as they do the external things. This is the very sobering warning from Jesus. You do the right things, but I don't know you. Does that make sense? That it's possible for us to do the right things, but to do them without ever changing. Now, this is where it gets really, really important for us personally. All of us are great at self-deception. All of us. So it is really easy. It's even likely that you will and I will engage in self-deception and we will fool ourselves and we'll lie to ourselves and we will think, well, I'm doing the right things, so therefore I'm growing. When the truth is that I may not be growing at all. I may not be coming more like Christ in every way at all, but because I'm doing the right kinds of things externally, I can be fooling myself. I can be self-deceived. Let me give you an example, one that um, is, is personal. My practice for years has been almost every day, I read three chapters of the Bible almost every day, and then I'll journal about it. Now, I do that because I've discovered that generally by reading through three chapters of the day, if I read three chapters, that will allow me to get through the Bible in a certain amount of time. And that's my goal, to get through the Bible in a certain amount of time. Now, often, and this is a constant battle for me, I can be reading my three chapters and I will read a particular sentence and that sentence might be meaningful. Or maybe it will raise a question. Or maybe it will cause me to pause. But because my goal is to read three chapters in my brain, I'll see that and I'll think, well, I'll come back to it when it's done, when I'm done. And then I finish my reading and I think about that sentence that jumped out and I'll say, yo, I really don't have the time. I got to keep moving. I'll get on with my day. Now pause for a minute. I think this is a no-brainer for all of us. When I'm reading my Bible, what should my goal be? To engage with God? To pay attention to what God is saying to me? To have a dialogue with God, maybe? So if when I'm reading, if that would really be my goal to engage with God, to have a dialogue with God, if I'm reading and I read a sentence that causes me to pause or to want to interact with God and ask, well, what does this mean? This is challenging. I don't understand it. Is it true? If that would be my goal to interact with God, then I would stop at that sentence. And I would say, God, what do you want me to know? What do you want me to see? How are you challenging me? 
But in my brain, I think, well, I'm never going to get through the Bible if I stop and interact with God every time I pick up the Bible. And so I'll do my three chapters. So do you think that God's goal for me is to have me read through the Bible in 18 months? Or is his goal to have me read through the Bible in a way in which I engage with him? Do you see the self-deception I'm engaged in? Because at the end of 18 months, I can say, well, I read through the Bible again and be pleased when, in fact, I may not have grown at all. That kind of self-deception is common to all of us, all of us. You can be doing all of the right things and yet not growing to become more like Christ in every way. And I can tell you what the antidote is, but you won't like it, because I don't. The only sure antidote for self-deception is to be in the kind of relationships in which another person has permission to say hard things to you. And when a person says hard things to us, to actually be able to hear them with gratitude. A person might say, so why are you so short with people sometimes? Why do you tell little white lies habitually? Why do you treat pretty women more kindly than you treat everyone else? Have you ever noticed how defensive you can be when somebody is slightly critical with you? Did you ever notice how dismissive you were back there when that person pointed out that you're always late? By definition, we do not overcome self-deception by ourselves. We can't, by definition. If we could, then we would not be self-deceived. It requires the eyes of another person. So am I willing to be ruthlessly honest and invite someone else into my life to help me? On your assessments, after question number three, I provided on the back um, a, a sample list of questions that I think can help you, questions that I use personally. I suggest you answer them and then get someone else's input after you've answered them. Is the self that you see the same self that everybody sees. Now, this is not meant to embarrass anyone. Um, if you haven't grown up in church, that's wonderful. I'm glad you're here. But let me ask, because how many of you um, grew up going to Sunday school and singing Sunday school songs? Okay, great. If, if you didn't, that's fine. So when I read this story for you, how many of you remembered a Sunday school kids song that we used to sing um, I was going to sing it, but I chose not to. Um, 
It's the song, the wise man built his house upon a rock. Do any of you remember that? Wise man built his house upon a rock. Wise man built his house. And there's motions, right? Some of you are doing the motions. Some of you are automatically doing them. Um, the foolish man built his house upon the sand. The foolish man built his house upon the sand. Um, and you remember the motions um, because for both, um, how did it, rains came down and the floods came up. The rains came down and the floods came up. Rains came down. Yeah, some of you will, will, will finish it because yeah, rains came down and the floods came up. And the house on the... Which one are you going to sing? <laughs> the house on the rocks stood firm. The house on the stand cranking. This is sobering. Yeah, thank you. Here's the cool thing. We sing that as kids, and I wonder sometimes if kids pay attention to what they're singing because what Jesus is telling you, there's a storm coming. And that's sobering. What Jesus is telling you is a storm is coming. Will your house stand firm? Let's pray. God, you, because you adore us and because you love us in the person of Jesus Christ, you gave us a really important lesson that there's only one way to build a life and that is to build a life on the words of Jesus. God, it is sobering to remember that even as little kids, we learned a lesson that a storm is coming. There is not a single person in this room that can avoid the storm. It is coming. God, I pray that we will be building the kind of lives in which we are becoming more like Jesus Christ in every way. So when the storm comes, our lives will stand firm. Pray, God, you'll enable us to do this, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to know more about Horizon Church, please go to the website at horizonconnect.org. Have a great week.